I'm excited that we have a new sermon series that we're starting today. Yeah, we also have some new chairs. Anybody thankful for the new chairs? I'm a little disappointed that you were more excited for the chairs than the sermon series. But that's just going to make me preach a little bit harder this morning. We live in such a culture of comfort. First Peter, and we're starting this new series today called Stand Firm. Stand Firm. And we've been talking over the last several weeks about how to gain ground, how to move forward spiritually. We don't want to just stay comfortable. We want, to, we want to gain ground and move forward. But I want you to know that ground that is gained can quickly become ground that is lost if we don't have the ability to stand firm. So we can move forward and we can gain some ground. But if we don't know how to stand firm, it's going to all be in vain. And so this morning, I want to begin this new sermon series that we're calling Stand Firm. And uh, believing that God is going to teach us some great things in this series. I love what Ephesians chapter 6 says in verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. All throughout Scripture, we're commanded time and time again to stand and to stand firm for what we believe in. And uh, we're going to be in First Peter. And I love the book of First Peter for so many reasons. But in the book of 1 Peter, we find great reason for encouragement, and we find great reason to have hope. And uh, Peter was writing to some believers that were going through adversity, going through hardship, and the overall message of 1 Peter is, hey, stand firm, stand firm. And this first message that I want to bring this morning, I'm just calling this hope when you're hurting. Hope when you're hurting. I don't know about you, can anybody use a little bit of hope this morning? Anybody uh, desire just a little bit of hope? Hope. When you're hurting. First Peter chapter number one. We're gonna start this new series together, studying this book. And I want to encourage you to read the book of First Peter this week and read it in your devotions and and uh, uh, study along with us throughout the week. And uh, one of my favorite things to do in the world is just to zero in on one book of the Bible and just to study it and and, and try to glean as much uh, truth as we possibly can. First Peter chapter one. If you're ready, would you say Amen? amen. It says this, Peter. An apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered. Now, if you remember a couple of months ago, we studied the book of James, and this is a similar uh, introduction because the saints uh, that were in Jerusalem were also scattered. And uh, we know that we are the, the, the light, the salt and light of the world, but if the salt is going to make an impact, it has to get out of the salt shaker. And so God will often scatter us, and, and uh, there will be a disbursement. And so we see this very similar thing taking place here at the beginning of this book. The strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. We were born again, watch this, unto a lively hope. We have hope today, not a dead hope, not a dormant hope, 
but a lively hope. And, and how can we have this lively hope? How can we move forward? And how can we stand firm as followers of Jesus with a lively hope? How is this even possible in 2020 to live with a lively hope? We'll keep reading. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Come on, is anybody thankful today for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? And because Jesus is alive, we have a lively hope. We have a different perspective on life. We have a new hope to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this time that we have to worship you today. And God, thank you that we can gather together in this place, in this building that you have provided for us. And God, we have been praying and, and uh, believing for a space just like this. And now you have granted it to us and you have provided. God, we just want to praise you. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. And we're standing in the midst of your provision. And uh, God, I pray that as today we embark on this study together, God, I pray that you will give us uh, eyes and ears of discernment that we can navigate this text and apply it to our lives today, that we can uh, leave this room uh, having been changed, that we can go out into the world and truly make a difference for the cause of Christ. God, I pray that we can, as a church, have the ability and develop the ability to stand firm, even in a season like we find ourselves in. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever broken a bone? Can I see your hands? You've broken a bone. And I remember when I was growing up, uh, my friends and I would play football after church. And, and uh, some of my best memories growing up, I grew up a pastor's kid. Some of my best memories were after church. My parents would be fellowshipping, talking, and me and my friends would be doing all kinds of stuff. We started a boxing club in the nurseries. We started playing uh, tackle football outside and having tournaments, and it was awesome. And I remember one particular Sunday night after church, me and my friends got together, and uh, we went out, we started to play some football, and uh, I was one of the youngest kids on the field. There was a bunch of kids older than me, but we were playing, and, and I remember I got the ball, and I was running for a touchdown, and I had th th this uh, great feeling, and it was exhilarating, and I was running for a touchdown. Things were going great, and I made it into the end zone, but there was one problem. The end zone was not on grass. It was in the paved parking lot, and right as I entered into the end zone, I was tackled simultaneously onto the ground, and I fell on my arm, and it hurt. Uh, really bad. And so uh, we went to a paramedic that was in our church and, and I showed him my arm and I said, man, I, I hurt my arm really bad. And he looked at it and he said, you'll be fine in the morning. And uh, I was like, all right, okay. So, so I went home and my arm was just throbbing in pain, but I thought the paramedic said I was going to be okay. So I better just toughen up. And all through the night, my arm was hurting. And finally in the morning, my mom said, okay, we're going to take you to, to the doctor. And I was in junior high and I went to the doctor. Sure enough, my arm was broken and it needed to be set. How many of you have ever had a bone set before? Uh, that is something that is extremely painful. And I'm happy to say this morning that when I did get my bone set, um, I did not cry, but I did scream at the top of my lungs. It hurt. It hurt so bad. And uh, I never want to have to have a bone set again. That was extremely painful. You know, the truth is in life, we can't avoid getting hurt. Uh, whether it's physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, we cannot avoid getting hurt. Hurt is inevitable. The question is not, will we get hurt? The question is, how will we handle the hurt? Hurt is inevitable, but how will we handle the hurt? And, and so often people handle getting hurt by getting frustrated. People get angry. 
get bitter. There's resentment when we get hurt. Maybe, maybe there can be confusion as to why we are hurting. Or maybe there's even a level of cynicism and, and uh, uh, kind of just being sarcastic when we're hurt. And so many people handle hurt the wrong way. But as you look to Scripture, we learn there is another way. And as you look to Scripture, you learn that, yeah, hurt is inevitable, but uh, we can actually have hope when we're hurting. And we can actually have a lively hope when we're hurting. And so we don't have to handle it like the world might handle it. We have this, this different perspective and this new light on affliction and pain. If there's one thing that I believe that 2020 has taught us is that people are searching for hope. People are longing for hope. I mean, we're looking for hope in a vaccine. Uh, We're looking for hope in a political candidate. We're looking for hope in a stimulus package. We're looking for hope in all kinds of different places. I was reading uh, about uh, some songs in the uh, 21st century, or the 20th century, and uh, uh, there was uh, a voted, a number one song in the 20th century by the um, the official Recording Industry Association of America. And uh, I thought it was interesting, the number one song in the 20th century, Over the Rainbow by Judy Garland from the classic Wizard of Oz. And uh, that was the voted number one song of all the 20th century. And I thought that was interesting because that song really is all about hope. You know, I'm, I'm dreaming about a land with, uh, where my dreams come true and, and uh, where the skies are blue. And it's just a song about hope. And, you know, as human beings, there's something innate within us that we long for hope. We're longing for a better place. We're longing for a better time. We're longing for a better future. And we long to, to have this desire of hope. And hope is a strong and powerful desire, but it often eludes us. One author, Thomas Fuller, he said this, hope is one of the principal springs that keep mankind in motion. Uh, Hope can move us forward. Hope can allow us to stand firm when life gets difficult. Romans chapter 15, verse number four says this, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That's one of my uh, favorite verses when it comes to studying the Old Testament. Whatsoever was written aforetime was written for our learning. So we look back on these to to glean uh, biblical principles and truths that we can apply to our lives. But then it says that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. We can have hope, and hope will allow us to stand firm when life gets difficult. And so this is the message of First Peter. This is the message that we're going to uh, unpack today. Are you ready this morning? So let's notice verse number one of First Peter as we dive into some of these verses. And I want to encourage you to keep your Bible ready and uh, open. We'll refer back to these verses often today. But verse number one says this, Peter So we're introduced right away to the author uh, of this letter, Peter. And as you might know, many times when uh, uh, an apostle would write these letters to New Testament churches, they would put their name right up front. That was not um, a boastful thing. That was not an arrogant thing. But they would unravel these scrolls. And so if you didn't put your name up front, they wouldn't know who the letter was from. So like when we write a letter today, we'll sign it at the bottom, sincerely. You know, uh, Matt Chapel, we would write it at the bottom. But in biblical times, they would uh, write it at the top so they would know who this letter would be from. And so we learned that this letter was from Peter. And uh, Peter is such a fascinating character in scripture. And I love what A.W. Tozer said. He calls Peter a bundle of contradictions, Uh, a bundle of contradictions, because Peter uh, is an interesting character. He was the first one to profess Christ, but he was also the first one to deny Christ. 
Uh, Peter was someone that denied Christ to a teenage girl, uh, but then he went on just a few days later and preached boldly at Pentecost, and thousands of people were saved. And so Peter, is a, he's a bundle of contradictions. And I don't know about you, but I kind of like that because I can relate to that. And uh, sometimes we feel like, man, I don't know if I can measure up, or I don't know if I have that kind of consistency, or if I have that uh, ability. Well, in Peter, we see this bundle of contradictions, but Peter was a man that spent three years with Jesus, he was a man that saw firsthand uh, the miracles and, and the workings of Jesus and spent time with Jesus and asked questions of Jesus. And so uh, this is, is the one that's writing this letter. We know Peter. He cut off the ear of Malchus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter walked on water miraculously. Uh, Peter uh, got to do some pretty amazing things and see some pretty amazing things. And now Peter who's coming uh, to the end of his life. In fact, uh, most commentators and, and historians believe that within five years of writing this letter, Peter would be crucified upside down by the hands of Nero. And so he's writing to Christians that were suffering, something that he knew very much about. And, and it's Peter uh, who we are introduced to. Peter, notice verse number one. An apostle, the word apostle means simply uh, sent one. And uh, uh, Peter was an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered. And so we know that the strangers scattered meant that they were dealing with some intense persecution. We'll see that throughout this letter, that they were dealing with hardship. They were dealing with adversity throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And uh, you might read that and say, okay, great. Okay, that means nothing to me. You know, uh, Peter was going throughout Asia Minor. It's modern-day Turkey, and he's, he's ministering to them, and, and now he's writing the letter to them. But I think it's interesting because if you study the book of Acts, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, shed some insight uh, to this region. In fact, the Bible says this in Acts chapter uh, 16, verse number 6. Are you with me today? Yes, it says this. This is Paul talking. Now when they had gone throughout, this is Luke writing about Paul. Now when they had gone throughout Ferga in the region of Galatia, and they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So Paul wanted to go preach in Asia. And what did the Holy Spirit say? No. And then uh, they were come to Mycenae, and they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And so Paul, on his second missionary journey, he wants to go to Asia. He wants to go to modern-day Turkey. He wants to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit says no. And that would have been frustrating for Paul, and he would have been confused as to why God would not allow him to go and preach the gospel in these areas. But then we come to 1 Peter, and we see uh, that Peter was ministering uh, in these regions, and Peter was ministering in Asia, and Peter was ministering in Bithynia. Can I tell you today that when God says no, uh, that he's already got it covered. And sometimes we can't see the whole story. We don't know why God would say no. We don't know why the Holy Spirit won't allow us to move forward, but he sees things that we don't see. And Peter already had it covered. He was preaching and ministering in these areas. And so Paul was a little bit unsure as to why this was, was happening and why uh, God would say no. But Peter here, he's, he's preaching and now he's writing to these scattered churches in these uh, five locations that would comprise Asia Minor, and he's encouraging them because they're suffering, they're hurting, they're going through a hard time. Now, we know in AD 64, there was a great uh, fire in Rome, and Nero was the leader uh, at the time, the Roman emperor, and he had to blame the fire on someone, and so who did he point the finger at? Christians. He, he said they're responsible, these, these people of the way, these followers of Jesus, they're responsible for this fire, and so that magnified and intensifi intensified the persecution that the uh, early church was experiencing, and so this letter... I want you to know that this letter to the early church and to the early followers of Jesus, this was something that was so encouraging to them. 
this is something that they would have held very dear. This is a message of hope. This is a message to stand firm that we don't have to be discouraged. Even though we're going through great adversity, we can stand firm and we can have hope. And this was the message that Peter was communicating to the early church. And I believe it's so practical and so relevant to where we find ourselves today, uh, even in 2020. So what I want to do today is I want to give us four ways that we can find hope when we're hurting. Would that be all right this morning? Four ways that we can find hope and tap into hope when we're in the middle of hurt. Number one, when we're hurting, I want to encourage you, focus on eternal things. Focus on eternal things. And uh, in verse number two, uh, it says this, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, uh, Peter here in this verse, verse number two, he's going to talk about salvation. He's talking about our salvation in Christ Jesus, how we can be saved, how we can have a home in heaven. And he's reminding the church of the wonderful realities of salvation. By the way, when you're going through a hard time, it's so good to comfort your soul and to remind yourself about the wonderful realities of salvation. And so Peter says, I know you're hurting, but let me just encourage you with some truth about salvation. And so he says, he says, uh, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now there's three components of verse number two, and I'm going to take a minute to unpack them and to teach a little bit this morning. Would that be okay? And so he says, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And, and so we see this word elect. The word elect simply means chosen, that, that God chose them according to his foreknowledge, that God is sovereign. And sometimes it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact uh, that we have divine uh, sovereignty and then human responsibility. Uh, but we see that God had chosen them, not based on what they did, but based on his love and his grace for them. He said, you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And so we see that God the Father elects us. And then we see, secondly, the Spirit sanctifies us in verse 2. It says this, through the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, a lot of times when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about the ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. Are you with me? A lot of times we talk about sanctification. It's that, it's that means of which uh, we are being set apart to become more like Christ, to walk in holiness. But in this context, he's talking about how at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit set us apart. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit set us apart for a specific purpose. And so we see that God the Father, he elects us, he chooses us, chooses us. The Holy Spirit then sets us apart. And then the third component to the verse is that the Son of God cleanses us. Notice the, the last part of verse 3. Uh, Unto obedience and the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. And so we see uh, here he's talking about the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now Peter was uh, bringing the reader back to the Old Testament. Because if you study the Old Testament back in the book of Exodus, God commanded Moses to sprinkle uh, blood on the people to cleanse them from their sin. And uh, by the way, aren't you thankful that we don't, we're not under the Old Covenant anymore? We don't, welcome to church, here's a splits of animal blood, right? And uh, that's what would happen in the Old Testament. But when we come to the New Testament, we know and recognize that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our sin. And we know that it's the, the precious uh, blood of Jesus Christ that, uh, that was perfect, the perfect lamb of God without blemish and without spot. And by his sacrifice and by his sacrifice on the, on the cross, we were purchased back by his blood. And so this is what Peter's saying here in verse number two. He's saying, hey, God the Father chose you. God, God the Spirit set you apart. And God the Son purchased you uh, by his blood. And this is so encouraging, especially when we're hurting. Why would Peter open up this letter? And why would he remind us about salvation? And why would he say these things? Because so often when we're hurting, it's easy to think, where's God? 
when we're hurting, it's so often to think, man, God forgot about me, and God's not interested in my life, and God is not thinking about me. And Peter says, hey, no, God the Father chose you, and God the Spirit set you apart, and Jesus Christ purchased you with his own blood. Hey, when we're hurting, just remember the fact that Jesus loves you. He has a plan for you. And so often we can be rejected by the world, but hey, we are selected by God Almighty. He says God chose you. God sets you apart. You've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and so don't think that God forgot about you. No, quite the contrary. He loves you. He knows exactly what you're going through. Today, we have to focus on eternal things. And so in verse 2, he brings our mind back to the wonderful reality of salvation. I'm thankful for my salvation today. Because no matter what happens here in this life, this life is not all that we have. We have a home in heaven. And so uh, he's, he's bringing our attention to eternal things. And then he's going to talk about the proof of our salvation. Would you notice verse three? If you're still with me today, would you say amen? Amen. He says, blessed be God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be. The word blessed there, it's it's the word that means to eulogize. I've spoken at many funerals and given the eulogy. When you give the eulogy, you're, you're typically speaking a good word about someone. And so what Peter is saying is, hey, let's speak a good word about God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bless his holy name. Let's speak a good word. And that's what we want to do when we come together in corporate worship. We want to magnify the name of Jesus and eulogize his name, saying saying he is worthy to be praised. And so he says, "Uh, blessed be God. Uh, Blessed be God and and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. And, and, And again, why do we have this lively hope? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Jesus conquered death, we have hope. Now, now remember, remember in the Bible, uh, hope is much different than how we often think of hope. We, we think hope sometimes is just kind of a wish. H- hope is a vague wish. It's, it's wishful thinking. But in the Bible, hope means the confident expectation of a future event. Much different. And, and so when we say that we have hope today, it's not just like, hey, uh, the power of positive thinking. It's not just like, hey, we have hope, and so just buck up and cheer up, and and we have hope because things might get better. No, hope is the biblical and confident expectation of good. And how can we have the confident expectation of good? Because when we look at the tomb, it's still empty. Because Jesus conquered death, and he conquered uh, the grave. And so because of that, we have hope because Jesus set the precedent. Because Jesus is alive and well, we too can resurrect from the grave, and we too can have life and life eternal and abundant life because of Jesus and the victory at the cross, we have hope. And so we have this confident expectation of good. In fact, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Miserable. So, so Paul says, hey, we're not just talking about hope here and now. Because if it's just here and now and then we die and that's it, we go in the grave and that's it. He said, honestly, we're just wasting time. Life is just miserable. Yeah, we can have short-term satisfaction and we can have short-term pleasure and things can go good for a little while, but if at the end of the day, that's it. That's it. And that's the humanist philosophy that so many people uh, fall into or say, like, I'm just going to live for pleasure. I'm just going to live for happiness now and I'm just going to do whatever makes me feel happy and then when I die, I die and that's it. Paul says, no, don't live that way. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits 
I love that. He's become the first fruits. He set the precedent of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of death. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, if you're saved, if you've accepted Christ, in Christ shall all be made alive. So many people fear death. Can I tell you? You don't have to. We don't have to fear death. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation, Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Hey, the proof of our salvation is in the empty tomb. Can I just remind somebody today that Jesus is still holding the keys to hell and to death. And so we don't have to fear death. Death is not the end of the road. Death is the bend in the road. And so we have this confident expectation of good. We have a lively hope. It's not a worldly hope. It's a lively hope because Jesus is alive. Lee Strobel, who was an atheist who went out to study the claims of Jesus Christ, he said this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best attested to event of the ancient world. And so we learn that the historical reliability and evidence for the resurrection gives us hope today. So we can smile even through difficulties, because we have hope. But not only the proof of our salvation, which is the empty tomb, I want you to notice the permanence of our salvation. Because now notice what it says in verse number four. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I love this. We have an inheritance. Did you know that? Congratulations this morning. You're rich. So I'm not rich. If you're in Christ Jesus, yes, you are. When my grandmother passed away, we found out, we didn't know this, but she wrote all the grandchildren into the will, and she wanted to leave us with a little bit of money, and she didn't have a lot of money, but she wanted to leave each of her grandchildren a couple hundred dollars, and so when she passed away, we found that out, and we were, you know, recipients of that will. Can I just tell you today that when you became a child of God, you were written into the will, that you have an inheritance, and this eternal inheritance is far better than an earthly inheritance because it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It doesn't, it doesn't fade away. And so we have this inheritance reserved in heaven for you. When was the last time you stopped and paused and just thought about the reality of heaven? See, when we're hurting, it's good to focus on eternal things and to remind ourselves that there is a place with no more crying, with no more pain. There is a place where we can be with Jesus forever. When was the last time you paused and thought about heaven? I was reading Lifeway Research. They did this survey of over 1,400 adults and who were 18 years and above, and they asked the question, how often do you think about the reality of heaven? How often do you think about heaven? And this is what, what, what the response was. 52% said never. Never think about heaven. I don't think about that. But I want to encourage you today, especially when you're carrying a weight, when you're carrying a burden, fix your eyes on eternal things. Peter says, you have an inheritance. It's incorruptible. It's permanent. It fades not away. He goes on in verse number five, and he says, who are kept by the power of God. I love that word kept. It's a military word meaning to guard, that we are being kept. We're being guarded by the power of God and the love of God, and so nothing can remove that salvation from us. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord campeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Aren't you thankful for the providence and protection of our God today that once we are saved, we are always saved, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We are kept by the power of God. And so even if we, we, we mess up and even though we're going to continue to make mistakes, we are in the Father's hand and no man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. We are kept and eternally secure. And this is wonderful news for us today. So number one, we got to 
fix our eyes on eternal things. In fact, Martin Luther said this, in our sad condition, our only consolation is the expectancy of another life. In our sad condition, our only consolation, our only comfort is the expectancy of another life. Aren't you thankful for the life to come and the promise of heaven? Fix your focus on eternal things. Number two is this today. How can we tap into hope? We have to see adversity for what it is. See adversity for what it is. Now, in verse number six, Peter's going to come back down to earth. Okay, so he, in verses one through five, he brings our minds and our gaze upward, and he focuses on our uh, reservation in heaven, our inheritance, and, and uh, the wonderful reality of salvation. But now he's going to come back down to earth, and this is what he says in verse number six. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice. Hey, this is the message for the church. He says, because of that, what should our response be as the church? We should rejoice. We should celebrate. We should praise the name of Jesus. We should put a smile on our face and put a pep in our step. We can rejoice because of this. He says, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And so Peter says, hey, you can rejoice now, even through a difficult season, because of the wonderful reality of salvation. Are you tracking with me so far today? I love this quote by George Herbert. He says this, He that lives in hope dances without music. He says, when you have the confident expectation of good, when you have hope in Jesus Christ, you can learn to dance without music. You can learn to smile even when you're crying. Why? Not because you're hiding the pain, but because your focus is on something eternal. You can smile while you cry if you're a follower of Jesus. You can dance without music. You can rejoice in the midst of suffering because this world is not our home. And so he says, you have to learn to see adversity for what it is. So often people have the wrong perspective on adversity and trials and suffering. Peter says, no, you have to learn to see adversity for what it is. And then he's going to tell us exactly what it is. Are you ready? First, in verse number six, he says, adversity is temporary. He says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. The word season there is oligos in the Greek. And it means this, little, small. He says, uh, uh, though now for a season. He, he says this, trials are temporary. You, you know, time is relative often to pain. Right? Like if I said I could hold my breath for two minutes, which I can't, we would say, that's a long time, right? If you can hold your breath for two minutes, I would say that, that's a pretty long time. But if I said, hey, I'm going to send you on a vacation for two minutes, you'd say, that's not long enough, right? Like I need a little bit more time than that. Peter says, hey, in light of eternity, just remember your affliction is, is temporary. This is just a short little while. In fact, uh, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, a moment. He says, uh, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And so he says, trials, hey, they're temporary. Adversity, it's temporary. But also adversity is necessary. Because then he goes on in verse number 6, and he says this, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. And then watch these three words, if need be. Do you know that sometimes trials and adversity is necessary? Like we need them. God in his sovereignty and his foreknowledge, he knows that we need to go through these times if need be. See, trials often will train us. Trials will often discipline us. Trials will often teach us things that we would otherwise not learn. And so Peter says, hey, trials are necessary. Uh, uh, we have to go through them. Seth Godin, he says this. He says, uh, soldiers realize that it's war that makes generals. 
It's going through the difficulty. It's going through war that makes generals. They, they learn. They're, they're trained. They're being developed in that. I want to encourage you. God never wastes a trial. That he has a plan and a purpose. And sometimes trials are necessary. They're temporary. They're necessary. They're also diverse. In verse 6, he says, uh, uh, ye are in heaviness. Uh, that word heaviness carries the idea of great pain. He, Peter knows that this hurts. He's not saying, hey, just, just don't think about it. He, he knows that this is painful. Then he says, through manifold temptations, manifold trials or difficulties. Uh, trials are various and, and trials are diverse. Um, a, a trial can be uh, a spiritual trial where you're trying to get victory over sin. It can be a physical health battle. It can be uh, losing a loved one. Trials can be, very diverse. Trials can be uh, mental and emotional and filled with anxiety and fear and worry. And so we learn that, that, that trials and adversity, they are diverse. But then he also goes on in verse number 7. Now he's going to say adversity is purifying. And I love this thought. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen? So he's telling us, hey, see adversity for what it is. He's trying to tell us, hey, this is how you should view adversity. It's temporary. It's necessary. It's diverse. But it's ultimately purifying. Now notice what it says in verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. And, of course, Peter is bringing our mind uh, to a goldsmith here. And he's saying, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so he says, hey, uh, I want to illustrate this truth, Peter says, by referring to a goldsmith who would put the metal into a fiery furnace and it would melt away all of the impurities. And, and uh, he's saying it's necessary to bring about purification. God, God's going to use that to, to purify you. And, in fact, I, I love uh, that it, it's often been said of an eastern goldsmith, they would keep the metal in the furnace, as they were purifying the gold, they would keep the metal in the furnace until they could see their reflection in the metal, until they could see their reflection. I love that truth because I believe that God will often keep us in the furnace until we start to reflect his son, until we start to reflect his glory. Can I tell you today that if you're going through a fire, if you're going through a trial, that God is forming something beautiful in you. He wants you to, uh, to uh, reflect his glory. He wants to do something special in your life. The fire is not meant to harm you. It's meant to help you. The fire is not meant to burn you. It's meant to purify you. God wants to do something beautiful in your life. Peter's saying, hey, fire, trials, they're, they're purifying God's doing a perfect work. He's doing a complete maturing work in your life. Job said this in Job 23.10, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. God will often melt away the impurities so that we can come forth pure as gold. And then at the end of verse number 7, he says, uh, uh, Unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He now reminds us again, hey, Jesus is coming back. Hey, yeah, uh, trials, they're necessary, they're temporary, they're diverse, and they're purifying. But just remember, Jesus is coming back. So often in Scripture, we are reminded of the truth that Jesus is coming again, and we ought to anticipate and await his return uh, with patience and with long-suffering. Titus 2.13 says this, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Is anybody thankful today that Jesus is coming again? And so we ought to be on the lookout. And so we have to focus on eternal things. We have to see adversity for what it is. And this brings us to our third point, number three. We have to activate our faith. Now, the first two points, they are about awareness. Uh, Peter wants us to be aware, the, uh, to fix our focus on eternal things and, and to see adversity for what it is. They're about awareness. These last two points I'm going to give this morning are about action. 
So now that we have the right perspective, now that we can learn to see a little bit uh, adversity for what it is, now what should we do about it? What, what should we uh, do about this perspective? We have to activate our faith. Notice verse number 8. It says this, Whom, having not seen Jesus, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, yet believing. He says, even if you don't see Jesus, our faith, our confidence is in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. He rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. See, he says, hey, we can have joy and joy unspeakable uh, in our faith in Jesus Christ. We have to activate our faith. And, and then it says in verse number 9, it says, uh, receiving the end of your faith. And so verses 8 and 9, he's talking about faith. And he says, uh, yet believing, verse 8, then 9, receiving the end of your faith. And I love this. Believing leads to receiving. So he says, believing leads to receiving. And, and uh, what I believe Peter's talking about is receiving the end of our faith. He's talking about salvation when we get to heaven, but he's also talking about how we can receive that now. now. Now, don't miss it. Because the message of 1 Peter is not like, hey, man, life is really hard. Life sucks, but just wait for heaven. That, that's not the message of 1 Peter. He's saying, hey, if you put your faith in Jesus, believing, believing yet receiving, you can begin to experience some of heaven now. You can experience a little bit of heaven on earth. This is what Charles Spurgeon said. Little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Can I just encourage you, when we really live with this lively hope, and when we really put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we're activating our faith, we will usher in God's presence, and we will experience a little bit of heaven here on earth. And so we don't have to just wait for someday. No, we can celebrate this day because of what Jesus did for us. So we have to activate our faith. Hey, we don't understand everything. In fact, the Bible says when it comes to trials and when it comes to our perspective in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. So often right now when we try to navigate difficulty and we're going through a hard time, it's like looking through a dark glass. We're trying to figure it out, and it's like a puzzle that we can't just quite seem to get the pieces to connect. And we don't know why we're suffering. We don't know why God would allow this to happen. But he says, then we will know. And so we have to activate our faith and say, you know what? I don't understand all this. I don't know why 2020 is the way that it is, but I trust God. And I believe that God is faithful. And even though I can't see it, I'm still believing that God is good. And I'm still believing that God has a plan for my life. Can I encourage our church family today? Activate your faith. How can we have hope when we're hurting? We have to activate our faith. And this leads us to the last thought, which is probably my favorite today. Number four, seize the moment. Seize the moment. How can we have hope when we're hurting? We've got to seize the moment. Now, notice verse number 10. I got to tell you, when I was studying these verses this week, this truth popped out at me, and it encouraged me and it challenged me to stand firm. It says in verse number 10, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. And so Peter here is talking about the prophets, and he's saying, man, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to these truths that I'm teaching you, the prophets, they searched and, and they inquired about this diligently. Uh, the prophets that would prophesy about the coming one, the prophets who would prophesy about, prophesy about the coming Messiah, uh, they prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Verse 11, searching what or what manner 
of time, and if you'd like to underline your Bible, I would encourage you to underline that phrase. What manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. And so what is Peter talking about? He's saying, remember the prophets, how they would prophesy of a coming time and how uh, they would prophesy about the sufferings of Christ? And we know that. Isaiah, the prophet, in Isaiah chapter 53, the chapter of the suffering servant, they prophesied of the sufferings that Jesus would go through. They prophesied about the glory that would follow, about the millennial reign of Christ where the lion would lay down with the lamb and they prophesied about this but Peter was saying but now in this time this was something that was uh, confusing to the prophets they didn't see it all together what is he referring to he's referring to the age of the church in fact I love what Warren Wearsby he, he puts it so succinctly I wanted to quote him today he said the Old Testament believers looked ahead by faith and saw as it were two mountain peaks are you with me today They saw two mountain peaks, Mount Calvary, where Messiah suffered and died, and Mount Olivet, where he would return in glory. They could not see the valley in between the present age of the church. So what is Peter saying? He's saying, I know that you're hurting. But this was a time that the prophets prophesied about, and they they searched diligently. They were trying to figure this out. You're living in a time that they longed for. I know that it's hard. I know that you're suffering. But there were people that lived and died and only dreamed about having a relationship with God like you have. The prophets, they searched. They wanted to know, but they didn't have the full revelation of Jesus Christ and the the full, complete word of God. And what he's saying is, hey, welcome to the church age. We're living for such a time as this. Can I encourage you today that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God. We have the completed word of God. And so now is not the time to fall away. Now is the time to rise up and to stand firm and say, hey, the time is now to share my faith. The time is now to study God's word. The time is now to love my neighbor. Hey, let's seize the moment. God has called us for such a time as this, and we've got to move forward and seize the moment. The prophets, they searched diligently and they inquired and they prophesied about these things. But he's saying, hey, I love verse number 12. He says, uh, unto whom it was revealed and not unto themselves, but unto us. Peter's saying, hey, the time is now. It's for us in this moment. The age of the church, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you uh, by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Watch this. This will blow your mind. The end of verse number 12. Which things the angels desire to look into. That God has such a powerful plan for the church here and now that even the angels are interested in it. Peter says, I know that you're hurting, but seize the moment. The angels are looking down. Man, I want to, what's going on? Look at the church. Look what God's doing in this moment. Hey, 2020 is a time where a lot of people are hurting. But I believe it's a divine time for the church to rise up and to stand firm. God's called us for this moment, for here and now, to make a difference there and then. He says the time is now. Let's seize the moment. Would you join me in standing? I want to read one more quote, but I want to stand together this morning. I want to close with one more quote by Warren Wearsby. He's been a study companion for, the, for me this week. And I love what he says. He says, hope is not a sedative. Watch this. It is a shot of adrenaline. 
a blood transfusion, like an anchor, our hope in Christ stabilizes us in the storms of life. I hope today we can leave claiming that promise. That hope is not a sedative. That hope is a shot of adrenaline, that we can leave this room fired up for the glory of God, that we can move forward with hope and that we can move forward and claiming with confidence the future is bright. You know, we love to say that saying as a church, it's on our trailer, the future is bright, the future is bright. Hey, that's not just wishful thinking. Hey, that's not just uh, us being naive and hoping for a better day. No, that is the confident expectation of good. We can declare biblically the future is bright because the future is bright with Jesus Christ. Let's leave with a shot of hope, adrenaline today. Believing that God has a plan and a purpose and we as the church are going to seize the moment and we're going to stand firm. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.